Frozen John Noble County's devastating blizzard of 1873 played such cruel tricks. Samuel Small was buying supplies in Worthington when the storm blew in from the northwest. Nevertheless, he set off for his Indian Lake Township home a few miles away. The storm blew in too fast. He lost the track he was following, and his ox team became mired in the chest-deep snow. Small abandoned the wagon team and wandered off the prairie. He would have never known he'd gotten within a few dozen yards of his house, but couldn't see it for the blinding snow. Searchers found him days later, standing upright not far from his home, frozen stiff as a plank, one hand grasping a wood fence rail. He was coated in a sheet of ice. Evidently, death took him as he tried to climb over the fence to reach a haystack's meager shelter. A Mrs. Blixt was worried that her husband couldn't find his way home in a blizzard. Had gone ice fishing earlier that morning, she'd left her children alone in the cabin and set off to find him. Within minutes of leaving her front door, she became disoriented in the freezing wall of white that enveloped her. She perished not far from her doorstep. Her husband made it home safely. A man named Taylor became separated from his three companions on their way home from the mill. He wandered for 35 miles before collapsing. Trappers found his body a year later in the northern Seward Township. Three other members of his family also froze to death that winter. But sometimes death was cheated out of its mission. Miss Mary Jemerson and her students were trapped inside a log schoolhouse near Indian Lake for three days and two nights. They soon ran out of logs for the small stove and had to chop up their desks to feed the small fire. Snow blew through the cracks in the walls and around the doors. To keep everyone warm and their spirits up, Miss Jemerson marched the children around the stove. The only food was what remained in the children's lunch pails. Fortunately, they were all rescued after the storm abated. The winter of 1872 to 1873 remains one of the most brutal in Minnesota weather history. The state had been locked in snow and cold for two months even before the deadly January blizzard. The first storm had arrived with fury two months earlier on November 13th with a three-day whiteout that dumped several feet of snow. A deep and dreadful winter had settled from the Canadian border south to Iowa. Many of the state's rail lines remained impassable until the spring thaw. By January 7, 1873, residents in Noble County, Nobles County had grown used to the snow and cold and adjusted their lives accordingly. The morning of the seventh dawn, beautiful and bright, one observer noted, everyone thought it was a sure sign of the January thaw. But there were warning signs that everything was not quite as it seemed. A school teacher in Worthington told anyone that would listen that he, that his aneroid barometer had been falling steadily for nearly a full day and had dropped lower than he had ever seen it before. By one o'clock that afternoon of January 7th, a towering wall of snow was bearing down from the northwest. Worthington was bearing down. Worthington's town folk caught away from their own home stayed where they were rather than risking walking even a few blocks to their houses. 
Farmers who had traveled to town stayed put, even if it meant leaving wives and children to fend for themselves back on the farm. When the blizzard finally passed, the lashing 45-mile-an-hour winds had buried the county under even more snow and ice. At least 70 people perished statewide during the January 1873 blizzard, including Samuel Small, Miss Blixt, and Miss Taylor in Nobles County. Yet the strangest death of all during the January storm may have been that of the one John Weston, a farmer in Sewer Township in northern Nobles County. But unlike the other fatalities, his name became a far more familiar one in southwest Minnesota, and for a time nationwide because of what happened after his passing. His ghost returned not only once, but twice to the point the way towards his remains. His story is one of the stranger ones of the annals of Minnesota's weird history. Back on the clear early morning of January 7th, Weston evidently thought the day ahead would be a fair and mild one. He left his wife Mary and their young son and took an oxen sled east to chop wood near Graham Lakes, several small interconnected lakes. Weston was on his way home when he saw the storm building in the northwest. He was still a few miles away when the storm hit. Though he somehow made it back to the farm, he couldn't find the house. Later, searchers discovered two sets of sled tracks indicating Weston had actually driven in a circle before becoming disoriented and heading back east toward Graham Lakes. Somewhere along the street, the steep banks of Jack Creek, he unhitched his oxen and they wandered off. Weston apparently had caught enough sense of bearing to walk southeast towards the, during the storm and toward what was called Hershey, but now was Brewster, Minnesota. He didn't make it. A rescue party was assembled to find Weston even before the storm had finished its deadly business. The oxen were found strangled in their own yokes next to Jack Creek. The sled full of wood was also located. There was no trace of John Weston. His neighbor and good friend was a Mr. Cosper. With other men, he had been among those searching for Weston when the blizzard had abated on the second day. Unsuccessful, Cosper and the rest of the men returned home to feed their stock. What happened next led to a notoriety for John Weston and certainly would have eluded him in life. Cosper told Worthington Advance editor A.F. Miller what had happened just before dusk. I went into my stable after the bucket, intending to water my horses. I came out and turned the corner to go down to the path when about halfway down to the slope, I was surprised to see John Weston coming up the path to meet me. He approached me with his usual familiar smile, and his hands were tucked under the cape of his blue soldier overcoat, just as I had seen him approach many times. I called to him and said, Hello, John, hello, Weston. I thought you were lost in the storm. And he replied, I was. Well, you'll find my body a mile and a half northeast of Hershey. He then began to fade away, something like smoke, thin smoke, thin and out, and disappeared. I had no time to realize what was occurring until it was over, and then I began to feel mighty queer. Mighty strange indeed. Cosper's astonishing story spread rapidly over the next few days. 
new search parties were formed to look in the vicinity of Hershey, where the ghost said his body would be found. Still no luck, and so the searchers gave up until the spring thaw. Not until April after the snow had melted was Weston's body finally located at the bottom of a deep slaw. A mile and a half northwest of Hershey, just as the ghost had said, snow had been very deep in that area. Authorities figured he'd made it 12 miles through the blinding snow, but regrettably, hopelessly lost and no doubt exhausted from the exertion, he could go no further and fell face down, his fingers grasping a few blades of tall prairie grass sticking up through the snow. Even today, a desolate, expansive prairie is a formidable foe if a blizzard traps the unwary traveler. There is a curious footnote to the story of John Weston. On the same night that his ghost visited his neighbor Cosper, Weston's ghost also called his wife Mary, but in a much more circumspect manner. Mrs. Weston and her son had gone to bed when there was a loud pounding on the door. She awakened, but the knocking was not repeated. She fell back asleep. Soon it started up again, only this time she called out to ask who it was and what the person wanted. Did you know that John was frozen to death? The reply came in a voice that sounded like Mrs. Weston, like that of her brother who lived nearby. Mother, did Uncle say that Pa was froze to death? Called out her son, who had also heard the man speak. Mrs. Weston climbed out of bed and lit an oil lamp. She hurried to the front door. She moved aside the heavy wood timber that held the door shut, cracked it open, and carefully peered outside. There was nothing but rapidly accumulating snow. She later said that, though the voice was eerily like that of her brother, she had been able to determine he had been at home at the time. She thinks her husband mimicked her brother's voice so that his ghostly form would not alarm or frighten his family. A final tender act of the man with whom she had shared her life on the Minnesota frontier.